0: Welcome to Looney Engineering, a Canadian software engineering podcast. I'm Andrew Clarkson, a junior software developer at Universe.
1: And I'm Chris Nay Smith, a senior engineer at Hopper. So, there's obviously been a lot of uh, news recently about different things AI, Copilot, um, ChatGPT, a big one. But we figured that today we'd do an episode talking about how we use AI, sort of what to, maybe not like our predictions, but sort of what we see happening right now, especially in our work and uh, personal lives around AI. So Andrew, do you want to kick it off? Yeah, sure. So AI is
0: one of those things that I think just kind of hit us all of a sudden. If you weren't like, following it, if you weren't paying attention, if you weren't like really specifically in this industry, working with machine learning AI and that sort of thing, it feels like just all of a sudden earlier this year, everything was AI.
1: Yeah. It definitely very quickly just became mainstream. Um, it hit the public. And I think what is surprising is just the amount of like coverage that it got from like the media and stuff, everything from, you know, like my parents, were talking to me about AI. Oh, what do you think about AI? And I was like, well, AI and machine learning has been around for quite some time. So what do you mean? What What are my thoughts on it? Um, everyone who knows that I'm a tech person would ask me about it as if it's this new thing like AI just came out. What are your thoughts? Yeah. What are your thoughts on the new AI? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Yeah. I, and I think
0: what it is, is all of a sudden it's become accessible. The average person can use AI. Now the average person can jump on uh, OpenAI's website, fire up Chat GBT, and actually utilize it. And I think that's what's that's the big change. It's not like it's just behind your algorithm. It's not just that like thing that people talk about. You can actually touch and feel this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's I think it's just surprising how I think it, it's, it's more the, what is it? The term that they use natural language um, model model. Yeah. Um, and for a long time, you know, interfacing with AI and machine learning was obviously programmatic. There wasn't like a, um, you know, it required a developer in order to interface with it, or at least creating something to interface with it by a developer. And now having natural Language um, where you can input data into it and it spits back, um, you know, like a conversation is far more approachable to, you know, non developers and thus, you know, people like my parents who know nothing about it.
0: Yeah. And even that,
1: you say, like, you needed a developer. You needed a developer that specifically worked
0: with these things. It wasn't just like you're going to throw you or I at this and be like, hey, um, the, I don't want to say the average web developer, but like the average developer, um, this isn't something that you really worked with very much unless you specifically worked in data, in machine learning, you worked with AI. And now all of a sudden, and the reason I say this is, now all of a sudden you've got every app, every company, every software company, all of a sudden are using it because it's the APIs to work with it are so accessible with something like 40 or 50 lines of code All of a sudden, you can hook up to the OpenAI API and you're running. You have AI in your app.
1: Yeah. And I think what you definitely see is there's been a huge amount of investment in AI over the last several years, like Microsoft being the big one, of course, in like OpenAI and ChatGPT. And because there's all this money, um, other companies are trying to jump on the, the hype, um, of AI and saying hey we also have AI in our app in order to who knows if it's to increase you know their um valuation of their company or to like raise further investments of saying like hey we have AI you know we're we're not falling behind um but it's uh it's definitely where everyone is coming up with it and i think we're in this exploration where because it is super popular right now. Everyone is trying to see is AI a solution for something that I'm wanting to do. And you know, of course, I think when there was all this hype, uh, when it first started happening with chat GPT, it was AI is gonna come and take your job. Whereas I think there's been a little bit of a cool off in the month or two months uh, since where we're realizing, no, it's probably not gonna take your job, at least not yet, but it is going to transform your job. Definitely.
0: Yeah. Three more years is what I read some Google engineers saying. We Us as software developers, three years, that's it. You won't be software developers anymore. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that that is no. true whatsoever. It's kind of like the tractors are going to take farmer's jobs. Like it's yeah. just, it's another tool. It's something that we can use. And I've had this argument with several people now. They're saying, oh, like we've got to limit this, which is never going to happen. Um, I don't want to learn this. Like, we can't be doing these things. I said, well, okay, that's fine. Like, you will be the statistic then. You will be the one who gets replaced by AI. Whereas the rest of us are going to look at this, say, this is another tool. This is fantastic. Let's learn it. Let's get on it. Uh, let's use this to make ourselves more efficient, better developers, learn faster, iterate quicker. We can do so many things with it. And now all of a sudden, it's this amazing tool that makes us a better, more valuable developer.
1: Yeah. And I feel like it's one of those things where it's going to make productivity um, or it's going to increase productivity by being like a force multiplier, Mm -hmm. but it's not going to make other things redundant in the same sense. Like, you know, the term where if you 100 years asked people what they wanted, they would say a faster horse instead of a car maybe 200 years ago you know I need a faster horse you wouldn't necessarily think of the concept of a car um, to replace horses and maybe that's where we are with AI right now is that it's making us realize that a lot of the older ways of doing things were very inefficient and it's much faster to do it with AI but at the same time it's not like horses are just gone there are still tons of places where, maybe it's too expensive in order to like operate vehicles and stuff like that. Like I, I live out in the country. It's still very common to see people using horse and buggy um, or to be using um, animals for farming. Like it's, it's not unheard of. Right. And
0: it, it will reach the, it will reach different points I'm sure where you will be able to replace certain parts of it, or maybe it'll be like, you don't need as many developers, but there's also the opposite of that. It's going to be, we need more people in order to manage the things in order to keep up with this. Yeah. Um, I think I think we'll see at some point the like entire app. You'll be like, oh, it can fire up that app and then you can just like punch things into it. I think we're already starting to see these, this sort of thing. Um, a lot of people are afraid that like it's just going to be the product manager that punches the thing in. Like, I now change this, now do these things, now do these things. And I think you'll get some of that. But when it breaks, that's it. Um, I saw somebody say something like, I love, I want to see the first company that fires all their software developers and go straight AI because I just want to watch the dumpster fire. And we're just so far off of that. I don't think it's possible for a production scale app that just has so many moving parts. You can't just say integrate AI into everything and let it do it.
1: Well, and you know, for anyone that's concerned about AI, I feel like being more concerned about being replaced by low-code or no-code solutions is way more concerning than being replaced by AI. Because at least with low-code and no-code, there is something that is backing it. Like There's some sort of logic that is very clear if this do that. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't fully, I think... The majority of people don't fully understand how AI works. And so, to have this black box of I'm going to input something, it's going to give me something back. Yeah. Like, who knows if it's right or if it's going to work in the long term. Or, you know, the hardest thing about being a software developer is refactoring code. It's not writing code. Writing code is easy if it's in isolation, but it's trying to integrate it and trying to refactor it to, you know, changing of requirements. Like, that's the hard part. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, maybe AI isn't going to be taking our jobs, but it could be in theory, a mix of things like low code mixed with AI mixed with like very technical, but non developer focused people. Um, you know, someone like let's say my brother who is not a developer, but you know, he's younger, he knows how to use a computer. He's tech savvy, but he's not a developer. And Mm -hmm. so trying to make these tools more accessible will, probably take some jobs away, but in other ways, create jobs, which Absolutely. is super common. Yeah. And so you're going to end up with that. Just, it's going to be a total wash,
0: presumably. Um, all right. What have you been using? Um, do you use chat Do you use copilot? Do you use any of these tools?
1: Yeah. So I used copilot when it was pretty much brand new and I think I used it for what a lot of people started, which was, um, writing tests using, um, just comments where you would say, like, you know, write me a test that does this and does that, and it would generate the code. Uh, oh. In this case, I was using Cypress, so it would generate all the Cypress code for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't done a lot much more than that um, for coding, but I've also used Chat GPT just to experiment with it and just see, like, what is it, what is it doing? I, I've used it more um, as a means of getting inspiration. Um, okay. and actually, you know, I say I've only used Chad GPT and Copilot. I've also used, um, the art ones that are out there. Uh, Lenza was a popular one for a bit for, you know, you would give it like eight images and it would generate you a bunch of pictures based off those. And, uh, what's that other one where it's the discord based one mid journey, mid journey. Um, I've done that and that's also quite amazing what is able to be done, but I've never, I've never used any of the. Besides Lenzo, which was a one-time payment, I've never done any of the subscription ones to see where it's going. I'd be interested in doing something like that at some point, though. Right on. Um,
0: yeah, the ChatGPT, just the I think it's three point five, is the one that's uh, like openly accessible on OpenAI's website. That's the most of what I've been using. And I just use it as like my pair programming buddy as I'm working during the day. Like I get stuck on something, I struggle with it for a bit or I have no idea to, where to go with something um, or I want something created. It's so easy to just kind of like go over there and ask it what you want or give you some ideas. Um, drop it in a little bit of code. I'm like, what's wrong with this? Or I'm getting this error. And it'll often suggest, most of the suggestions are really good. It's been really helpful.
1: Yeah, I could see it in a lot of ways of, like, replacing some generators that sort of exist. Mm-hmm. When I, very early on in my career, I was using something referred to as a Yeoman generator, which was, yeah. you could create templates, and then um, you could use those to scaffold different parts of your application to avoid the boilerplate of, like code over and over again okay. and it would like inject variables here and there ask you questions fill it out stuff like that um, but i'm wondering if we'll get to the point where chat gpt you could just say like you know you don't need create react app you just be like hey i'm building a react application that is just using you know it just needs to be a like server side not server side rendered but a, just a static application you know generate me a project that does that and if it is smart enough and trained specifically in that sort of ecosystem, you wouldn't necessarily need to, um, create a CLI tool. You could just have chat GPT just generate you a project structure.
0: Yeah. And I think, uh, when you get more into like, uh, four and it's a little more powerful and kind of gets its fingers into things you can already do something like pretty close to that with mm-hmm. the, the way that you can kind of hook it into other things for the model the 3.5 that's publicly available there it's it feels a little harder to do something that big you can ask it for uh, all sorts of things it'll give you fairly long detailed answers it'll show you like here's here's the code that you want but it won't actually like go and create that for you whereas your newer generations and especially a lot of things people are building on this um, they're really getting powerful
1: yeah yeah and I, I do find at least with a lot of, um, results to prompts, the first couple answers are, you know, they definitely need to be tweaked. And so what I, of course, I think everyone does this is where you get the, um, the answer back and then you have to like, give it additional prompts in order to Mm -hmm. like tailor that sort of result. And, you know, that's no different than, you know, if I asked you Andrew to build me something. And then I'm like, oh, we need to like tweak that, or let's change this, or let's change that. Um, so I think that's only to be expected. Yeah, um, it's a it's a little bit iterative, and that makes sense. And I think the
0: more you use it, the more the better you get at those prompts. I found myself starting to think ahead of it a little bit and be like, and giving it really detailed things, or maybe I'll give it a couple different snippets of code, and like, here's these connect like this. This is the problem that I'm having or when I'm asking it to create something, you you give it those guardrails. And that's where you see a lot of people talk about like prompt engineers and um, giving specific prompts
1: in order to get certain outcomes. Yeah, and I guess like part of my thoughts is it feels a bit unnecessary sometimes. Like I think everyone is trying to make AI just be the solution. And if, if your role is to be like, you know, you said prompt engineer, which I had seen recently for the first time on LinkedIn is if, if your role is to just put input into chat GPT or some sort of AI, like it feels like a one trick pony, you know, like you, you need to have multiple skills. And so is it going to be more work to keep giving prompts to chat GPT to get the expected output, or could you just maybe have the knowledge to just write the output in potentially half the time who knows like how many outputs or inputs do you need to give it to get the output you need yeah and i I mean you say that but there's job postings for like three
0: hundred fifty thousand dollars a year to do this stuff
1: oh man i'm in the wrong field then
0: right like it's it is absolutely wild and a lot of it is some art art things um the art generators because they take a little bit longer they use they're more resource intensive i think those are the ones where it's a lot more important because when we're generating code I mean, it's just like, bang, here's some more code. It's just text output. It's got to kind of figure it out and do it. But when you're creating an illustration, there's a lot more to it. Mm -hmm. Um, When you're doing something that's like, and I guess it's still writing as writing, but when they're like writing stories, some people are writing entire books with this stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've seen uh, people who have written children's books and then used AI-generated art in order to do that and then sell the books self-published on Amazon, which is actually incredibly concerning because we're going to have this huge influx of content that um is uh just all ai generated and potentially gibberish right like Mm -hmm. you could assume that right now we're going to be monitoring it and trying to tailor it to make it make sense have a cohesive story and have artwork that matches it but what happens when you have the person that's just like let's just generate a hundred or a thousand stories and publish them and then just you have this huge surge of content that suddenly is like means nothing.
0: Yeah. And it's not even just the, let's do a hundred books or a thousand books. It's let's set this up to create the book, illustrate the book, um, get it on Amazon, set it all up, do the SEO, add it to my website. Like there's going to be a point where you can just have this whole workflow automated and yeah. you're right. We can end up with just piles of junk over it. And I mean, there's all the, the ownership concerns and privacy concerns and that sort of thing, like who actually owns this stuff as well. But um, there's some interesting, when you look at it outside of that lens, I think it's really interesting when you look at it under the lens of privacy and ownership, it gets really complicated really fast. And there's a lot of genuine problems.
1: Yeah. So maybe let's get into some of the like practical applications. Um, is there anything y- you mentioned a little bit in your workflows that you're using it? Yeah. So for, for myself uh, I'm using it for a few different
0: things from as simple as like, tell me a ridiculous story or something hilarious. I find that somehow it has a similar, wherever it's pulling from has like a similar sense of humor to mine. So it's, that's been hilarious. Um, but for actual work, uh, I use it, like I've got it open most days and I'll ask it, uh, I'll, I'll drop in a little bit of code I'm like, I'm having a problem with this or I'm getting this error after I've spent some time looking at it, trying to figure it out myself, because if you just rely on it all the time, you're just going to get crushed. You're going to start running into problems that you can't solve. You're not going to become a better developer, but if you're still going through that flow, especially for like someone like myself, early career, I'm still learning a lot of these things, even the basic stuff. And if I'm just constantly asking ChatGPT to do it for me, I'm never going to learn. So I use it. um, If I've got a question or if I've got something I'm stuck with and it's that sort of thing, it's not like within the wider stack of what's going on at work. um, I can drop it in like a function and I'm getting this error. uh, How would I add this to it? And it's really cool when it gets into languages I'm not as familiar with. Um, How would I do this in this language? How would I translate this? And then I ask it to explain it to me, say, okay, now can you explain to me line by line, what is that doing? And it will go through it and I can ask it for a diff and it'll tell me like what it's changed. If it's, if I've given us code and it's pumped out something else, uh, I can follow up with it and say, oh no, that created a new problem. Oh, okay. Maybe you need this. And it's been just amazing because, uh, as, as important as it is to talk to people at work and be asking those questions. I don't think it's taking away from that. I think it's really helping me because it's all those little problems that I might sit here for 20 or 30 minutes or an hour and struggle with, and I can get a quick answer and be like, oh, that's the thing. I've still learned the thing. I can now move on. I can get my explanation. And it's really leveled me up. And it's made me more efficient as a developer without taking away that learning and getting better.
1: And so is this open AI or what, what sort of tools are you using for this? Is it Copilot? Yeah. So this is just open AI. Um, okay. I just jump on the,
0: their website. I've got a login for it and I just ask it my
1: questions. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say like for myself professionally, there isn't anything that I'm doing right now, although definitely interested in doing it um, just for myself, a lot of, my, my work is very big on the privacy, which we'll get into later in this show. Yes. Um, but a friend of mine has been using it um, at our company for in, in his team to take uh, requests in. So because with how our company works, like each team is very independent, um, although some teams have ownership of certain things. And so other teams can contribute to that code base or has questions, et cetera. So what he's done is use um, OpenAI in order to like categorize and tag incoming messages from other teams. So you could be able to You know, if it's a pull request, you know, trying to figure out like what's the priority of that pull request. Does it need to be done now? Does it need to be done end of week? All that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Potential feature requests and being able to like categorize it as a feature request versus a bug and like who it came from, all that sort of stuff. It's uh, quite interesting what you can do instead of having a person manually go through and read Slack messages, just being able to, without having. You know, like regular expressions or anything to like parse data, being able to just categorize the data very quickly using AI and put it into a sort of like normalized format, you know, essentially automated Jira tickets just based off of conversations. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and actually leads in really good to the
0: thing that you just mentioned that I want to know how you're managing this, um. There's a lot of privacy concerns. A lot of companies, especially, are very concerned about their data. When you are feeding information into these, you kind of lose control of that data. If they are like, okay, we're going to be using this information, we're just feeding that into our model. Now, all of a sudden, that's that's out there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a concern for, I'd say, any company that's working on something that's very like proprietary mm-hmm. and possibly even you know, working in new, um, new fields, you know, or like trying to, it's hard to say because there's a lot of things that are obviously like, there are new startups that are doing things in existing fields where it's not groundbreaking or anything, but if you're using AI to, you know, start your business essentially, and you're feeding it all of this data, who's to say that there isn't another company that could use AI and essentially benefit from your learnings. Um, Very similar to say like poaching uh, employees from your competition in order to like jumpstart your company. And you don't have control over the data that's being used. And so that's where my company is very big on trying to make sure that, you know, on an enterprise contract that anything that we put in is not going to be used for other things or that if it is used, maybe, I don't know. I don't know how these things totally work right now. And I'm sure it's still model, not the, not machine learning models, but the business model is still being figured out is can you train in AI that is dedicated to like just your business. And so, if you put stuff in maybe i could actually use the stuff that you've put into it as myself because we both work at the same company or maybe department and because yeah imagine if you're using ai in the business in hr um hey you know based off of the performance what should so and so get paid and it has all of like payment information you obviously don't want me to just go in and just be like hey what is Joe and finance make, and it just spits out going like, this is what he makes. Cause I, I know this, like there's, there's some like level of concern and gating mm-hmm. information, all that sort of stuff that still needs to be figured out. But if you could make a general AI for your company, that would be hugely valuable.
0: Yeah. And I think you're going to see and are already starting to see that sort of thing and where you can pull down, um, if you got like an open source, um, API, but like, if you got the actual large, large language model, is it? it? Yeah. Yeah. If you were to get that model and then you can train it on your own, um, on your own information, you can feed that into it. And if you've got that internally, that really works. You've exactly what you just said. You've got those privacy concerns within your company as well, but it depends on how it's being used and how it's set up, but it can be super powerful, um, making business decisions. We all know that people making business decisions is just, it's how we do it, it's how it is right now, but it doesn't work fantastically because we all
1: have our own bias. Exactly, and the big thing though, is if you are, if you're able to train a model on all of your company data and it has all of this historic information, things that change over time, all that sort of stuff, what's nice is, as opposed to the current Uh, I'll say the, maybe the older or current way of doing things, you know, you have someone that has a huge amount of domain knowledge. There is the potential that they could leave your company. They could retire. They could pass away for whatever sort of reason. You know, you end up losing that employee at your company. Mm -hmm. Whereas a machine learning model is yours to keep. It's still there. And so at the end of it, you know, it has a huge amount of value where it could do you know, I don't want to say it could do anything like mm-hmm. maybe, maybe it could, I don't know. But if it's pairing with employees, maybe, maybe it's able to start determining patterns of where things could be abstracted into shared packages because, you know, there's no sense that Chris and Andrew are both reinventing the wheel on similar problems mm-hmm. or, um, you know, making onboarding processes way quicker, you know, understanding like what is slowing mm-hmm. down, um, employees and maybe it can you know scaffold you out different things like there's there's mm-hmm. obviously a lot of potential of where it can come in um it just is going to take a lot of i wouldn't say a lot of time but it's going to take some time uh for people to figure out how to apply it yeah and anyone that's listening to this that's
0: thinking like oh that seems so far off i'm like training your own language model and all that sort of stuff if you've used something like uh Lenza and you fed it in your own pictures so that it can create something that looks like you, you've already used exactly this model. If you have used stable Diffusion, which is in the majority of these um, image creation AIs, uh, the ones that do art, the ones that can create you any sort of picture, you can actually get all that down on your own computer. You can run your own server. And you can start training on your own photos i know somebody who does this and he comes out with the greatest avatars and ridiculous images that he is in because he's trained it on a bunch of his own photos this isn't that far off yeah
1: and it's not far off and you look at just technological and advancement in general right like where we were 10 years ago we are miles ahead of where we are and i feel like the pace that we are accelerating at is only getting faster You know, we, we obviously joke about in the front end space, there's a new framework every six months, Mm -hmm. but like that is very much happening right now in the AI space. There are new things that are coming out and it's not coming out every six months. We're talking like every three months, every one month, there's a new and these companies that are specializing in this space are also seeing the benefits of releasing their stuff as well. Mm -hmm. Now,
0: that rolls into more issues. Um, we've heard of bias in AI models. Um, I don't know if you saw in the news when Lenza was huge. Um, there were a lot of problems with, uh, if you were a woman and you put your pictures into this, you would end up with these like sexy photos. And it's like, wait a second. Like I didn't ask for that. Like, where are those now? Because as part of signing up with Lensa, their pictures are, or your pictures are now their pictures. Um, there was, uh, people creating very R rated 18 plus kind of graphic content out of this. Um, and then, if you were a guy and you did it, you got these like big, hulky, tough, like battle warriors kind of thing. So, you had women
1: being like, No, I want that. Why can't I have that? So, you've got a lot of this bias. Um,
0: yeah, that is, like phil- you definitely have
1: problems in society of like body dysmorphia that will be amplified through AI. Mm-hmm. Um that's definitely like a huge concern but also like how do you how do you stop that cuz you know i think one of the things with ai is that it's influenced by you know the humans that have created it I and put data into it and yeah. a lot of things are in i wouldn't say flawed but you know racism is something that exists in our culture um and so by you know, by feeding in anything that's happening on a daily basis, that Absolutely. is going to be in there and that, that's going to be data. And yeah, it affects it. And uh, an AI doesn't have morals.
0: An AI doesn't go, oh, that's a bad thing. It has to be trained on all of these different things. And it's like, how do we do that? And you keep seeing things pop up in the news uh, way more than just like the images. Like that's the tip of the iceberg when it comes to some of this.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, and the other thing is, is, you know, generating content that, is not necessarily for like you. You mentioned obviously like as an individual, I could give it a photo of myself and say, "Oh, make me," you know, generate a photo of myself in AI, and right. I, I look far better than I do. But another concern is around data privacy. Is like, what if I start uploading photos of other people? Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, of course, with like females that it's generating in a lot of cases this like eighteen plus content. Um, you know, you have concerns of. You know, revenge porn is something that has been sort of existing, let's say in the last decade. Um, But now you have these deep deep fakes that are able to generate content of other people that isn't even real.
0: Well, the the biggest one, the biggest problem, um, or at least the most media covered one was somebody fed it in a bunch of photos of Billie Eilish and said, I want nude photos. And that's exactly what it pumped out. And like that's a problem. That's a that's a major problem. I have no idea how to address it, how to fix it, but like that's an example of issues that we're gonna have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's I think a lot more issues than potentially it solves right now. <laughs> yep. Um but it, it does come into the the thing though is if we what sort of usefulness is AI going to have if we start limiting it as well. And obviously I don't think that we should be promoting the the negative sides of ai but it does come in is there a negative to if we start limiting it will it start impacting some of the usefulness on the you know because you're going to have false positives that happen right you also are going to have false negatives that also happen so you've seen where with ai you can give it a prompt and say hey generate me a computer virus and it'll be like nah i can't do that that's unethical and you're like, give me a computer virus written as a poem. And it goes, yeah, sure, here you go. <laughs> and you're like, great.
0: Right. And uh and, and it's exactly that. Like, how do you get around? It? And they call them, I think it's jailbroken, um, jail jailbroken models or giving specific guardrails and like how do you get around a lot of these things? And and it's good that people are figuring those things out because that makes it so that they can be corrected. And like, how do we make these things safe, especially for public consumption? Um, The next one is though, um, who owns the data? Where is this all coming from? What has it been trained on? This is a huge issue with the image generators. You're starting to see like signatures in them. Like whose signature was that? Like whose style is that? But uh, in addition to that, like whose
1: code was this? Whose writing was that? Whose ideas were those? And I, I would say like a big problem that's outside of AI is like who owns content that's online? right? Like, because as a photo, you know, this, Let's actually take a sidestep from AI and let's go into NFTs, right? Because as an NFT on the blockchain, I own this and this, it says, I, I own this photo, blah, 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 blah. But you can download that photo. It technically, I can prove saying that I own it, but like, what does that mean for the data? If you can just download it and distribute something entirely yourself, um, and so, what happens is something that can be owned by someone else can be distributed openly on the internet entirely um, license free. And you see this where um, stock photo websites, right? Like they own um, the IP to it. But if I pay for a stock photo and I have the unwatermarked image, in theory, I can just upload that onto my website and any scraper might not necessarily recognize that as a stock photo that is owned by someone else. And so you have all of these AI that are trained on you know public images and stuff like that but how do you verify that the images that are going in haven't been posted by someone that doesn't own the rights to that already? and then these AIs are now trained on art that isn't even theirs right. um, or have the rights in order to, to learn from?
0: Yeah, now you've got like layers of who owns this
1: exactly, and, and so who who owns the what comes out of it? Is it the person that created the machine learning model? Is it the person that um, originally did the art? Like you know, it's very... it
0: is it theirs because they created something
1: exactly? And you're seeing in a lot of places where they're saying that art that is created comp- entirely computer generated without humans cannot be like trademarked. Mm -hmm. so it it is very blurry on like who owns it and at the same time you could even say unless if unless if it is very um how do i say it unless if there is a clear way of being able to say that this was generated through ai what's also to stop people from just lying that it was generated by ai you could say yeah it's entirely done by ai um and it's not valid but you're like nah i did this and you're like okay like
0: (laughs) right and and that's gonna be the uh big part of the problem like some of them are obvious, like, well, what's that like blur of a signature over there? Or like, why have you all of a sudden got like something that's very clearly like a, a Monet? It's like that right there, that's literally been pulled from it. Like, why is that in there? But then you've got other ones that, especially when you're doing these ones that are super life lifelike looking, they've been trained on like literal photos of people. Mm-hmm. Who owns that? How does that work? It's, there's a lot
1: well and you know we're talking about like art and who owns this and if i wanted to commercialize it but i've also heard the question of like who owns your likeness like if i there's concerns around data privacy of if i create an ai that sounds like me Mm -hmm. you know i train an ai to make it sound like Chris, and you know we put out this podcast Uh, bi-weekly and so someone in theory could pump all of our episodes into an ai to create one that sounds like my voice based off of hours of content and then you know do i own the rights to what i sound like or do they and what happens if it's used for something that i don't necessarily approve of and all this sort of stuff like there's concerns around um phone scamming where someone could call using an ai voice and pretending to sound like you know someone in order to get money
0: you say all this as if we haven't trained on the last nine episodes, and this isn't just AI deepfake. Chris and Andrew talking about it. Yeah, site. all
1: of this is not real. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think we'll start, we're going to start seeing um, a market. I guess it'll be or like an emerging an emerging trend or something, whatever you want to call it, of the tools to detect this. You're already seeing with ChatGPT. There's tools to detect what are the chances this was written by artificial intelligence. And then you're seeing like college professors using that. Um, and they're, they're super open and available that can do this sort of thing. And I think you'll see um, what are the chances that this art was, that this voice is that
1: this uh, email that you got, you're going to see, have to see big advances. And it also and becomes a game of like cat and mouse, right? Cause yep. this is, you compare this to computer viruses and this is the exact same thing that they have is yep. they, Um, You have a virus, a virus detector says, yeah, this is a virus. So you update the virus so it can't be detected. And if you're able to test against what is testing, you just change what the output is in order to beat the system. And so very quickly, you could have an AI that puts its output into a tester and says, Mm -hmm. oh, this is 100% generated by AI. And it's like, well, let's tweak it. And pretty soon you could just say, generate me. Um, a paragraph of text that is not detectable as being generated by AI. Oh, that's interesting. I wonder if that would work right now.
0: I have no idea. It would. I need to do this while we uh, continue to chat here. But um, we're starting to get away from the actual software side of things here. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's reel that in a little bit. Um, So there's going to be a lot of trends that we've been talking about. Um, This is going to impact a lot of things. But like, where do you see, not to like full on go prediction mode here, but like, where do you see these things going? Uh, as we talked about earlier, you've got a lot of people that are really afraid for their jobs. They're saying like, oh, there's going to be no more software developers. Or like, AI is going to steal my job. Like, where do you think this is actually going to go? Is this just kind of flash in the pan and we're going to get bored of it? Or like, is this actually got legs?
1: Yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of SaaS products. I mean, you, you already do see a bunch of SaaS products that have come out, but you're going to see probably a huge influx of people that specialize in um ai you're gonna see the consultants who are gonna be consulting with businesses on how to introduce ai i think there's gonna be this huge explode but it will die off um i think in 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 a very short-term sense i think there's gonna be so much supply with not enough demand that things will die off you'll see a company that starts and might die off in like a year if there isn't enough demand in order to support all these businesses. But through that rapid growth of the industry, I think people will start just not deciding, but like figuring out what is useful from AI. Like what are the applications and like real world applications that we can use it for. And then those will start to like stick around as we figure out how we can apply it to our market, um, whatever market we happen to be in.
0: So it's going to be like most things that happen like this, the people that put it to uh, a business use that users actually want, they're going to be successful. And the ones who just kind of jumped on the bandwagon and built something for the sake of it, they're, be that flash in the
1: pan yeah i think you're also just gonna have like people that build something that has a business case but it still might die off because you have nine other businesses that are also doing the same thing so i think you're probably going to see an emerge of players who understand ai um very well and you're gonna have some that you know are going to want to use it but like don't know where to start like it's it's gonna be it's hard to say, like, I think you can say that about anything, right? Like you saw, let's say like with cloud where a lot of companies had on-prem data servers or data centers. And so they wanted to use the cloud, um, but they don't know where to start. So how do you transition to the cloud? Maybe you have a hybrid approach and, you know, all these sort of things that exist where it's so new that it's hard to say what's going to happen.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's why I say what's your guess? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It's just I I don't think it's so new that I don't even know what I could guess. Yeah. I would I think what will happen though is you will see some jobs that start to go away mm-hmm. or or be hybrid jobs, not hybrid in the sense of like work from home and work in office, but right, yeah. where certain roles will start getting combined that were maybe they would work in parallel with someone else. Okay. Um, you know, not not an actual example, but let's say like a paralegal and a lawyer are two very distinct roles that work in parallel with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe you'll start seeing roles where they start collapsing into... Um, one job because they don't necessarily need all of the resources because that's where from my understanding paralegals sort of come in is they're trained on certain things but also it's a little bit cheaper than a lawyer
0: right um yeah yeah. i think i think some of the ones that uh you're going to see issues with are um content creation is a big one anything where it's like i need to pump out a large volume of things like we talked about books and child children's books and that sort of thing um but you're writing content for SEO or writing content for your blog. Um, I mean, we've done it for the show to be like, wow, we're kind of blanking on what we should talk about today. And we can just jump on chat GPT and be like, Hey, we want to talk about this. Like, can you throw together some sort of a list of what we can talk about? Then all of a sudden, like we have a whole episode ready to go And, and that you could do, if you're giving the right prompts, you could do it for all sorts of creative things. So I think that's where some of the concern
1: is a little more reasonably laid. Yeah, I also think, and it's it's funny that a lot of junior developers think that their jobs are going to be taken. I actually am thinking that maybe a lot of education will start becoming less necessary given, yeah. given what could be done with AI. And so in the case of, like, the medical field where you see a lot of AI uses for being able to detect, like, early cancer and maybe, like, other sorts of things... Um, maybe and and i don't want to say that this should happen but maybe the requirements of being a doctor will be less if you know ai adoption is really big in that field because do you really need to have x amount of years in order to become a doctor if you're just going to be using an ai in order to do it and you could say that the same thing for software development you know just the barrier of entry of being able to get a job might actually be lower and thus easier
0: Yeah, and I I think for that reason, I kind of disagree on things like the doctor thing, it's going to be another tool. And hopefully it's going because we already don't have enough doctors, it's going to be something to help pump the people through the system quicker, get them diagnosed quicker, get treatment quicker. Um, It's going to be like you talk about like a 10x software developer, right? You're gonna have 10x doctors that can see twice as many patients in a day effectively empathetically and like actually still do a good job it's going to help them do their jobs and i think that's what we're going to see a lot of it and that's going to like explode industries that's going to make industries absolutely skyrocket because or at least the companies within certain industries that really jump on this bandwagon say yeah this is a great idea things like you say searching for cancer and you can have something that can review all of the scans or I don't know x-rays cascades whatever it is and i can look at it and much more accurately and quickly detect things that's amazing
1: yeah and i think what you'll also see is more tailor-made experiences being whatever it is just because in a lot of ways in order to handle scale we assume like one size fits all in a lot of solutions and if we can start creating tailor-made experiences to make individuals feel unique whether it be a shopping experience, going to the doctor, um, just being on a website in general, AI will probably help in understanding like what someone's preferences are and be able to Mm -hmm. tailor that experience to them. And then not just that current experience, but future experiences as well, and be able to adapt over time.
0: Okay. Before we wrap this up, I need to go back to what I said, like five minutes there ago when we were talking about getting around content detectors. So I just brought up ChatGBT, just the the plain vanilla one that's on uh, OpenAI's website. And I said, can you write me a marketing email? I said, actually, sorry, the prompt was write a marketing email and it wrote one. And then I dropped it into writer.com's AI content generator, sorry, detector, AI content detector. It tells me 12% chance of human generated content. Cool. Then I go back and I say, can you write me, or sorry, write me a marketing email that will not be detected by an AI content detector. 92% human generated content. When I read it really quickly, I'm like, I may have blown up on this. I was totally wrong because they looked so similar. But the same website, going from just a different prompt, it went from 12% to 92%. Interesting. How cool is that? That is super cool, but also super weird. (laughs) Yeah, like just looking at what it
1: was, it doesn't I'm not gonna sit here and read it, but like they're not that different. Yeah, it makes you wonder like what sort of policies are gonna be in place, like obviously the known I am not a robot, right? Like the clicking and then filling that out. But it's like write me, you know, submit this post and you're write an email and send it through this system and maybe that system has a, I am not a robot. And it's like, write this email, send it out and pretend you are not a robot. It's like, dude, what sort of <laughs> what sort of prompts are we going to have to end up changing things that I don't know, potentially has unknown, not mm-hmm. unknown consequences, but like, what, what is the implications of adding um, and making it not be caught by AI? Like, yeah. is that, I don't know. It, it makes me wonder like what, that is doing, and then because that's generated through AI, you could just then train another AI to learn like, Hey, this is how AI is avoiding to be detected by AI. Yeah.
0: Where does it end?
1: Yeah. Interesting.
0: That I'm, I'm I'm blown away here right now because literally the, it starts, the first several lines are identical. Interesting. If you you read this and then five minutes later you read this other one, you'd be like, ah, those are pretty much the same. Like, what did you do?
1: Yeah, we should actually include those in the show notes as um, possible, like screenshots of it. Let's uh, yeah. let's do that.
0: I'll get you some screenshots. Amazing. Yeah. All right, so we went over a bunch of stuff today. We talked about AI, talked about like what's going on, what the big ones, ChatGPT, Copilot, some practical applications. Uh, what are the challenges? Uh, data privacy, biases, ownership,
1: some best practices. Where is it going? Get anything else you want to say? beep, beep, boop, boop. Well, the only thing that I would just say is, I mean, clearly you and I are not experts on this whatsoever. And there's no way that we can accurately guess where all of this is going. Um, But I think in in summary of what we've sort of said is that AI is going to be a tool. And right now people are trying to make it a catch-all tool. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very much that, you know, If all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. And that, that is very much what is happening right now. And so over time, I think people will start to recognize patterns that can be easily solved through AI and those will start to go away, which is interesting because it makes me wonder is what are the problems that we're not focusing on because we have these other problems. And that is where I'm interested in seeing, you know, not even just like us as software developers but even as a species like if if we can end up solving some pretty small but like problems that exist like what are the bigger problems that we can start solving and maybe it be you know like diseases and stuff like that like who knows what sort of applications can be solved
0: yeah and like most industries with this we've got a we've got to hack on and figure out all these stupid little things to fix and then that leads into it these people that are are using it to do something silly like what you and i do and build uh, our avatars
1: exactly you, you gotta start you gotta start somewhere yeah. and i think you know if uh if you're wanting to sort of be in it for the future i think getting getting familiar with the technologies now um in its early stage is probably something that would be hugely beneficial for anyone that's listening regardless of being a junior or senior is start playing with the tools, understanding how they work, maybe not even like nitty gritty understanding, but like I give it this, it gives me that. And trying to like understand, I don't know, just being comfortable with it because things are going to change. And if you understand it now, you could very much be a leader in um, championing this at your work or just in your personal life. Definitely. All right, awesome. Well, that was
0: episode 10.
1: Episode 10. That's,
0: this is mind blowing. Um, Episode 10, uh, Chris and I talking about AI. Um, hope you've enjoyed. I hope you've listened to some of our other uh, episodes as well. We have nine other ones on a wide range of software topics that you can listen to on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on LinkedIn. Uh, if you love the show, we'd love if you'd uh, give us a call out on LinkedIn, tell all your friends, give us a good rating, uh, ideally five stars on your content platform of choice